0: Welcome to this Nordea Markets Insights podcast. I'm Terry Baines and I'm happy to be hosting this mini podcast series tied to the latest issue of the Nordea economic outlook, The Road to Recovery. I'm getting the chance to interview some of the analysts behind the report and dive into their specific subject areas. And today I'm very happy to be joined by two of our analysts who focus on the Euro area, Inge Klaver in Sweden and Jan von Gerick in Finland. Hi, Inge and Jen.
1: Hi, Terry. Hi, Terry.
0: Hi. Um, Starting with you, Inge, like other parts of the world, the euro area was also hit hard by the pandemic. What's been the overall economic impact and and what's our outlook going forward?
2: Uh, Yes. So in response to the virus spreading widely in Europe at some point in March, there have been quite strict measures to slow down the spread in most countries in the region. Italy was the first to be hit and to impose a very severe lockdown, but soon France and Spain followed. And also in Germany, many businesses were closed down and people asked to stay home. Um, These lockdowns have led to a spectacular fall in economic activity that lasted until about mid-May. And we have estimated the Euro-area economy to have run at about 75% of normal activity during the deepest weeks of this crisis. This has led to that euro area GDP fell by almost 4% in the first quarter, and we expect an even steeper fall by another 13 to 14% in the second quarter. These are drops never recorded before and clearly bigger than what we saw at the height of the crisis in 2008-09. But we do expect the second quarter to already be the bottom, so that's that's the good news. Now, looking at higher frequency indicators and also just around us on the streets, we can see that economic activity has slowly been picking up in the last few weeks. People are moving around and leaving their houses more and judging from mobility data, uh, especially production is getting back on its feet again. When we try to learn from China's experience, they are a few weeks or a month ahead in this crisis. And we can see there that also production got back on track quite smoothly, but demand uh, consumption is staying behind. And we can expect to see a similar thing in the Euro area. Beyond this quarter, the outlook, of course, crucially depends on whether we get the virus under control and how governments choose to handle it. Uh, Forecasting is even more uncertain than normally, and therefore, like many other forecasters, we have worked with scenarios in this economic outlook to give our view on growth in the next two years based on certain assumptions. Now, in our baseline, we expect a very gradual recovery to continue leading to a 9% decline in GDP this year and followed by an increase of 6% next year. And it's it's not until beyond our forecast horizon though that we expect GDP to be back at pre-corona levels. So back to normal is still far away in our view. In our upside scenario, we see growth this year at 5% and in downside at 13%. And personally, I think the risks are tilted more towards the downside.
0: Thanks, Inge. Now, uh, turning to you, Jan. the ECB has really stepped in during this crisis. Uh, what's been the impact and, and what can we expect from the ECB going forward?
1: yeah I, I think it's it's hard to overstate the impact of central bank stimulus here uh once again we saw that the the, the actors fastest uh, to react to to this crisis circumstances were central banks uh the ecb <laughs> wasn't quite as fast as the fed on the other side of the pond uh, but it was much quicker than than the policy response has been and and that has been the case i would say the in the but since the global financial crisis, that the, the financial markets have been reliant on ECB support, and uh, I think in the euro area, it would, would be basically safe to say that without the ECB measures, we would not have the euro uh, in, in one piece anymore. So, so once again, in the early stages of the crisis, uh, the market started questioning the. Uh, sustainability of the most vulnerable countries of course Italy uh, was uh, was questioned the most the virus ended up or landed there in Europe basically first Italy was uh, uh, the first uh, euro area country really to be hit hard uh, and uh, it didn't take long for it to become clear that the economic costs would be huge uh, the costs to uh, to uh, or the increase in Italian debt levels would be Significant, and Italy was among the weaker countries already uh, before the crisis. So the uh, the, uh, the mar- Italian bond market started reacting, uh, almost panicking in, in March, and then then came the ECB's response. And I guess without the that response. Uh, we could be much closer to another debt crisis another financial crisis uh, and that of course would make any recovery in the economy much much uh, uh, darker and slower than the numbers uh, inge just uh, pointed at but fortunately now things have gone down to the central bank not only the ecb but the fed as well they have uh, managed to calm down financial markets and now the, the risk of another financial crisis is uh, is a more d- distant risk so we can concentrate more on uh, on uh, on getting the economies back to at least towards normal without having to worry at least in the short term about uh, uh, another crisis in in the bond markets
0: Great. Inge, you write that while all Euro-area countries have been hit by the virus, the economic damage and subsequent rebound will be asymmetrical. How so?
2: Yes. So apart from the fact that some countries have been more successful in containing the virus than others, uh, the asymmetric recovery that we see is based on on many things, but I will point out two main factors here. Uh, Firstly, Differences in the structure of economies play a large role in determining how quickly they will be able to recover. Um, Unlike in previous crises, the service sector is the hardest hit in this crisis. Face-to-face business has simply been made impossible due to the restrictions. And as a result, countries like Italy and Spain that depend more heavily on services like recreation and hospitality or, or simply tourism, Um, will struggle struggle more to recover. Uh, Many restrictions are likely to remain in the sector. Uh, Summer holidays are about to start soon. Some borders are opening and the travel industry is trying to start up again, but still many people will not be confident and comfortable enough to to book holidays abroad. Germany, on the other hand, for instance, is uh, less dependent on services and manufacturing will most likely be able to get going more quickly again. Though um, there's challenges there as well. Uh, secondly, policy plays a very important role in the recovery, and some countries in euro area have more room to maneuver or deeper pockets on the fiscal front than others. Um, many euro area governments have launched quite similar measures, supporting businesses to prevent bankruptcies and supporting workers by offering short-time work schemes. And this seems to have prevented widespread layoffs for now, but the question is, how long will governments be able or willing to support their economies? Um, Germany has just last week announced another massive stimulus package of 130 billion euros. Germany has made quite a U-turn on that recently, but some other countries can't quite afford such stimulus, as Jana also pointed out just now. Um, So direct fiscal measures in the euro area vary from around 3% of GDP in Spain to 4.5 in France and Italy, and as much as now uh, about 8% in Germany. So apart from the development of the virus, these are two factors, the structure of the economy and the policy response, which will dictate how quickly countries can recover. And these vary across countries in the euro area. And this is also reflected in our GDP forecasts for the different countries.
0: Great. Um, Inga, you mentioned the the different policy response from the governments. Um, Jana now, uh, is support from the ECB enough, or is is there a need for EU level measures on the fiscal side as well?
1: yeah well i i pointed out earlier how instrumental the ecb support has been in preventing another financial crisis and that is i think that is the the main thing that the central banks are capable of at the moment monetary policy was was very accommodative very easy already when we head into the corona crisis uh so with the extra or additional monetary stimulus, uh, I don't think that the central bank can really aid the recovery to a significant extent. It's just that the economy reacts to changes and monetary policy was at the starting point already so uh, easy that that there's not much more monetary policy alone can do. Except, of course, the very important job of preventing a financial crisis. But when, when it comes to recovery of the economy, then in these circumstances, uh, fiscal stimulus is something that uh, that works much better uh, and there of course the focus will be on the national level uh, as Inge pointed out but uh, as Inge also pointed out uh, different countries have uh, uh, different policy space left and there that's where the EU can, can uh, come in, into play to basically try to secure and aid the recovery on uh, on the EU level, uh, and also that the, the the so-called weaker countries can uh, get on board. Now that that's one of the points. Uh, of course, this is an external crisis, and it makes sense to to show some solidarity towards the weaker countries. That Italy. Uh, was hit by, by the virus, or Spain was hit by the virus, doesn't have anything to do with the past policies or policy mistakes done in these countries. So from that perspective you can argue uh, that, that there's also uh, arguments for providing uh, aid on, on on the EU level. Uh, but the, 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 the way the EU is now going into this, they are going to basically, uh, or their proposing to take debt for the first time and not in small scale. 750 billion is the package they're talking about. Uh, And this would be a debt finance package uh, that the European Union would uh, gather debt from financial markets basically for the first time to uh, to finance uh, consumption on, on, or investment on, on the EU level. They have had some debt before, but that has been mainly in connection to financial aid packages uh, as, and, and much smaller in, in scale. So this is something really new. I would say it's definitely needed. But one of the big, I would say, question marks or problems with it, that there's still the trust deficit between uh, the area countries uh, and very big differences in the, per- the economic performance in economic structures if we continue taking italy as an example uh, you would need to have an incentive structure to persuade italy to change the structures of, uh, of its economy uh, of course uh, the the debt the high debt level is uh, something that everybody talks about but it goes much beyond that the problems of italian banking sector haven't been resolved uh the the public administration is working poorly the judicial system is uh, uh is not really working or is working very slowly the labor market is stiff so there are a number of questions that that also hold back Italy of uh, living up to its full potential and then maybe even servicing its, its higher higher debt levels. So this could be one possible opportunity if, if we go into this EU-level support package. So uh, we've tried tried to have these uh, conditions on, on different EU programs before to persuade countries to do economic reforms with quite uh, bad success. Uh, So now maybe this carrot approach could work better now that there's more money on the table. That's at least what I would argue for. Of course, like I said, it's a big crisis. There's uh, the case for uh, uh, showing solidarity, but then why not try to to reach several goals at the same time and try to to persuade uh, countries to make structural changes to their economies at the same time.
0: Right. Um, shifting to uh, to Germany for a second, uh, the German Constitutional Court has raised questions about the ECB's purchase programmes. What, what's the status there?
1: Yeah, the, that was kind of kind of a big blow for the ECB in, in early May when when the German Constitutional Court basically found that the ECB had 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 exceeded its mandate in its purchases, and also uh, the German court very much questioned the earlier decisions by the European Court of Justice, basically, that had found uh, that the ECB's actions had been in line uh, uh, line with the, the EU law. Uh, now, of course, directly the ECB is not responsible for the German Constitutional Court or any national court. It's basically responsible for, for the European Parliament and, and the European Court of Justice. But of course, the German court uh, decision cannot be uh, basically disregarded uh, in total. It tells about a lot about uh, the discussion, the attitudes in Germany. Germany, of course, has been very uh, skeptical of the ECB's measures in the past. Uh, and this court decision had to do with the ECB's earlier uh, purchase of government bonds. And now the ECB is using much more flexibility in in its new purchases in this uh, pandemic situation. So it's very likely that there will be uh, new court cases and there might be more grounds for such court cases also uh, against this new programme. But the bottom line is that uh, all court cases, uh, they they take ages to go through, at least we're talking about years. Uh, So the ECB is going forward on full throttle with these bond purchases uh, in this crisis, but at the same time, the discussion should be increasing on what happens in the future. Uh, At the moment, uh, the euro area is very reliant on the ECB's bond purchases, and uh, the discussion on what happens in the medium term, longer out beyond this crisis, how how will your uh, area survive? Uh, that uh, that will pick up, and that that cannot rely solely on the ECB anymore. We need uh, some uh, other structures on on the EU level uh, as well. The ECB is not working. Uh, uh, without any limits, there are, are limits to how, how long it can go and how much it can support. Unless, of course, there's a political decision that changes the mandate of the ECB and allows it to finance governments directly uh, and so on. That is, of course, possible. That is discussed to some extent, but I would argue that uh, that taking uh, away the central bank's independence or forcing it to become uh, uh, the fine, fi- last financer of, of, of government deficits would bring a lot of Uh, problems of its own and certainly would not uh, lead to a a monetary union that's working better than it is at the moment.
0: Right. And uh, Janne, sticking with the ECB's uh, purchase program, it's been aimed at keeping bond yields low. Can we expect stable bond spreads going forward?
1: Well, that's that's a good question. I think as long as the ECB is determined, uh, then at least uh, as the moves we saw in in march for example they they look more distant uh, the Comer bond markets of course uh, one reason for those is also the, the fact that that markets have heard uh, the commission's proposal for this so called recovery fund uh, they know that uh, germany and france the two largest eu members are behind it Uh, So there's a good case that we will get some sort of a, a risk sharing structure. If not in in unlimited scales at least then one off that would open uh, the continuance of it uh, of such structures longer out uh, that also of course shows that there's a lot of political capital in play there's a lot of political willingness to keep the euro area together so uh, at the moment, it's not solely the ECB uh, that's holding one markets calm even if the ecb is uh, uh, is the main actor. But again, if we look at the financing needs that governments face. Of course, they're huge this year. Uh, the ECB will buy at least most of that, uh, not directly from governments, but by uh, the the secondary markets. But uh, if history is of any guide, then the deficits will continue for a longer time than just this year. Uh, the economy will need support from the, the fiscal side for a longer time. And then if if we don't have the ECB purchases or if if the limits are hit, there, then uh, then also longer out there are risks. But let's say that I would argue that at least in, uh, uh, in the near term, the ECB has, has taken away the, the worst volatility from, uh, from bond markets. That doesn't mean that there aren't any moves, but just that uh, a, a an acute immediate crisis looks more remote.
0: Great. Well, thank you both for sharing your insights. This has been very interesting. For those of you listening, you can find the full economic outlook and more of Inge and Jana's research at emarkets.nordea.com.